Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Luke Stutters. Hello. We also have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking to Nicola Juza. Hey, everyone. He smiled because I got close, but I didn't nail it. <laughs> no, you, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. I'm, I'm so bad with the four names. I'm really sorry. Do you want to just give people a rundown of, of who you are, where you work, what you do, what your background is, so that they know why you're awesome? <laughs> sure, sure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. Currently, my full-time job is working at TopTop. So I'm, let's say, full-stack engineer. But besides of that, I also do a lot of writing. So that's kind of a, my hobby. That's my other job, let's say, a hobby and a job. So, yeah, I run a blog. It's called Pragmatic Pineapple. Probably leave a, leave a link below. And, yeah, that's it for me. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there, too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Awesome. Now, I think we're just going to dive right into this because I think this is going to be interesting. When I when I saw the topic, I was like, no way. Really? No way. Why we write Rails view tests. And I'm sitting there going, I have a whole list of reasons why I don't write <laughs> Rails view tests, right? So uh, do you want to give us a little bit of background before we like dive into the topic? As far as you're writing Rails view tests, I take it. So what kind of led you to that conclusion that this is a good idea? And yeah, let's just start there. Like, were you working on an app where you were dealing with this stuff? Or what, what, what are we talking? Yeah, sure. So what happened is I saw I was working on this project a couple of years ago. And I saw that they have specs for view tests. And it's interesting because I never saw it before. And like the first side of it, I thought like, why, like, why would you do this at all? And a couple of years after I come by another project and I also see they're writing view tests and I still can't get my head around like, why does this happen? Why, what, what's, what's up with this? So this is why I, I decided to write the blog post, actually dive in and see like, why do people actually write these tests like what's the like what's the motivation behind so yeah that that's how that's how the idea was born and while investigating why you should do it i figured out that there are some use cases that you can actually find this as a valid idea so that's it pretty much yeah i mean the reason that i'm asking and the reason that i've had such a reaction to this is because i've worked on apps where we were doing sort of end-to-end tests right i haven't ever just straight up tested the view but we've done these end-to-end tests and you change one little thing and the whole thing comes apart, right? Because, oh, you don't have your text in a div with this class in it anymore. Or you you change, tweak this little thing and now the the logo has a different property to it. And it was like, these tests are... Yeah. And so these tests are, in my experience at least, they're super brittle. 
the the UI or the view is to me the part that's most likely to actually change in ways that are breaking, right? And so I looked at this and I'm like, I'm like, man. So people write views because they don't have anything better to do is kind of where I came from. Or just I was they found a way to do this that's not so frustrating. And so I, I guess that's that's what I want to dive into. But but first, yeah, why test reviews, right? Because it's just markup. So let's start there and then let's dive into how to make it so that I don't want to go break things when I'm done doing it. Yeah, sure. So what what really struck me with these like view tests and why why would you actually write these view tests is I was doing a lot of React in, in the last couple of years. And what we did is, I mean, you can, of course, do this with Ruby wherever. Like we did a lot of conditional rendering. And the thing is like sometimes you would have a lot of like conditions. I mean, if you look at it, you shouldn't be having, right, from like a clean code perspective or whatever, but that's in theory. But in practice, it's just, it happens, right? So you have a lot of those, like, what if, like, if user is allowed this, if that, like, then render this. And what really, what view tests give me value is that I can easily test out those branches, right? So I don't have to go and, like, spin up the whole end-to-end suite, right, with Capybara, right? With, with whatever you're using, like Cypress. So I don't have to do that. I could just test that instance. Like, so I just want to test out whether those conditions are met, right? I don't want to have like five different system or integration tests. Just to do that, I can do it with a simple use spec. And so that's where I find value. And I don't know, from the specs I've seen, like in those repositories I worked in, that's basically what they do. Like anything more than that, it's you're really pushing, really pushing for it. You should be probably using something else. So this is the kind of situation where you want to check if an admin button is appearing if you're logged in as an admin user. Yeah, yeah. Let's say like something like that, right? Something that's like not as brittle as for example those like css stuff like this like, class is there but yeah something that's really like tricky to let's say build data around it for a system test and then just run a system test to actually assert that's there i got gotcha. you it's interesting because you're talking about this and this is the kind of thing that i do with my view components so i've been using the view components library from github and th- that that's what i've been doing and so yeah, if you're breaking it down like that, that makes a ton more sense to me because that is the place where I'm saying, oh yeah, I'm going to test the render question mark function, make sure that it knows whether or not to even put it on the page. I'm going to be testing the the basics of the layout, but just to make sure that the information that I wanted in there is in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to use the view component library, but I've heard so many amazing things about it. And I actually saw that Dave did the screencast about it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note because as I'm staring at the blog post, it's pretty clear what's going on, but it may not be clear to anyone just listening to this podcast. And the view specs that we're talking about is much more in line with how you test with view components, where you are basically just rendering out a index action, show action, or a partial. And then you're just testing that certain HTML elements or values are there in that rendered string or that rendered partial or view. 
unlike doing a capybara or a system test where you actually spin up an instance of Google Chrome or something similar, an actual browser, Selenium or whatever, and actually run through a specific opened up port, the browser will then return the HTML rendered and then you do your specific checks. It's not like that. It's the former and much more aligned with the view components but without necessarily having to use view components. You just render out a controller action or something like that, just a URI endpoint, and then you're able to then take the expected rendered outcome and then do selective matching and test on it. Yeah, exactly, exactly like that, yeah. And I do in the in the blog post, I do a bit, I go through some of the stuff that, for example, you get generated if you use, I don't know if, People still use it, but if you use Rails, uh, generate scaffold. Right? If you do scaffolding, what you get, like those assertions that you get, are a bit weird, right? You you get um you you don't get the once you generate it, you don't get that RSpec syntax with expect something to equal something or whatever to match something. So that's that's another thing that might put people off right because if you if you use like scaffolding or something or whatever you 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 generate a test for a controller or whatever you might put off by this like and you might just easily remove that view spec right and not and not ever get into it and see what is it about but yeah what you would you explain it's like just perfect just perfect right you just assert what's rendered and yeah without having to run a bunch of stuff and you know honestly I really like this method because I would much prefer doing this over Capybara as far as just doing a code coverage on the view simply because in my experience, Capybara has been temperamental at times. If I'm upgrading my Rails application or if there is a different version of the Chrome web driver or something like that where the tests have just not been stable. And this is more from the infrastructure level instead of the actual tests. So getting my Rails system tests to actually connect to that web driver to then properly execute my tests. So I really like this as far as just getting that. We shouldn't be aiming for the code coverage, but getting that code coverage down to where, yes, we are testing these specific areas of the application. Yes, we are handling these certain cases and making sure that these components are being rendered on the screen and stuff like that. So I really, I'm really digging this methodology. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on that, Dave, because... Nerd fight! <laughs> I... Um... In my experience, if you're running, you know, if you if you're running a, a kind of a stressful high value site, then the capybara test, the selenium test, the WebKit in a box test, is the gold standard of launching code. And uh, having worked in the environment before I had that and after I had that, it was immensely valuable from a kind of operational point of view, and so it solved so many problems but it didn't help developers at all. So, so the actual guys writing the site had no value from a Selenium, the Capybara test, something like that. It was just a kind of really used as a kind of uh, siren to say something was wrong. So I think that this approach of breaking things down 
is fallible and it kind of prevents that later kind of what you call integration test. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we should do away with capybara tests at all. I don't think that this methodology is a replacement for it because as you said, you're getting more of the integration, the interacting between multiple components. And there is a lot of value in that, especially for a happy path or end-to-end to where you are getting a lot more visibility that is this application that we are about to release, this new version, going to generate support calls? And that's where I think your capybara tests really are going to shine. However, as we all know, capybara tests are not the fastest things in the world. And I suspect that rendering out just these views, uh, like the blog post is showing, is going to be significantly faster. So I think for our unit tests, if you will, of the view, this is a great methodology, but you still do need the capybara test for your end-to-end happy path. These are the most critical points of the application that must work. Yeah, yeah. I, I break it down to, can I get paid and will I keep getting paid, right? I put those into the capybara, you know, selenium, whatever basket. What, what, what does that mean? So for example, does it go end-to-end and actually hit the, the stripe sandbox, right? All right, so can, can, can I get paid? Right. Um, if, if, right. Is the customer going to log in and not be able to do the basic function that they're paying for and therefore quit? And so I kind of put those those high high value things into the end to end stuff. Yeah. And then I kind of take the rest of it and go, all right, do I have a reasonable expectation that it works well based on my unit tests or, or some integration tests, depending on what I'm doing? But yeah, I, I, I like that approach. I do want to focus a little bit more, though, on the the view testing one thing that I've found with view components in particular is that they tend to break things down into testable chunks for my views. And it looks like you're kind of doing the same thing where you're saying, hey, you know, it under this conditional, it does this. And under this conditional, it does that. And you can slide those into partials really easily. I guess my question is, is how do you break that up, right? How do you break it up so that you have a nicely testable view? Because we, we think about this with controllers and with models when we're unit testing those or integrating integration testing those, but we don't talk about what a testable view looks like because most people don't do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it gets pretty tricky, right? As you said, you can do it a lot with splitting stuff into partials, but when when is like, when is enough? Like when do you stop splitting the code? Like when that was that was one of one of the problems. Like if I, for example, start out with that in mind, like let's just like have everything spread out, like into chunks and everything. Sometimes it doesn't play out as well as I thought. Like for example, I kind of gave up like on that idea to start everything like and ch- chunking up everything from the start. I'm more like let's pile up everything, like let's pile up in one view and then let's see like how we can actually reuse this. And maybe until you are ready, like. <laughs> to to chunk that up, maybe you can use this new specs, but I, I don't know if I if I made any clear clear point right there. So, but yeah, I'm I'm more into like putting everything into one place. I mean, not like <laughs> making a mess out of it, but um, yeah, wait for stuff to pile up and then like spray it out a bit. So, a general practice that I've taken, and I don't know if it's best practices or just the what I found works for me scenario. But if I have a view that is very large, so let's just take an index action for a user model. 
And so for this user's controller index action, it is a thousand lines long. That's pretty hefty for a view. And I would then say, okay, these certain items on this view, they're not really components per se, but I want to break it down so this index.html.erb is not so massive. So I'll create a subfolder called index under my user view, which is basically an indication to me when I'm developing on here is that we have some view partials that is only applicable to the index action of the user. So that way, we're not really simplifying the code, but we are simplifying it in the sense that we are going to take this idea from the user view, move it over into this user's index, user count partial, or whatever the content's going to be. And from there, we're able to see that this is not reused anywhere else because we have a namespace under the action name index. And same for show or edit or whatever the scenario is. So it's not a great way of simplifying your code, but I think it is a good way to organize your code. And where you have situations where you have more reusable components that or partials, then you can do a more proper or traditional way of naming them, organizing them. Now, you know what I'm going to ask you there, Dave, immediately about your namespace folders. Do you leverage metaprogramming to make that nope. kind of automatic? No, oh, you've disappointed nope. me. I thought it was going to be some kind of magic folder system that pulled in the partials. It's not. Nope. It's, it's just straightforward manual. Ah. Nope. Because and <laughs> here's kind of where I'm going with this. Because while I've never worked for the company GitLab, I love their product. I think their product is very top-notch and it is direct com competition with GitHub as far as features and capabilities. But if you look at their source code, because it is an open source project, under the models and the user.rb file, it's over 2,000 lines long. And to me, for a model, that's that's just... It's too much. So in those cases, I would do something similar where in the concerns folder on the models, I would create a users folder and then I would start extracting the logic out into the users folder and then just do in and include. So do a users include or the include users, just this idea of the namespacing that this is not a reusable component. It is only for the user model. And so I think that back to the whole point of this with the testing of the views, I don't see why we wouldn't be able to simply render out a partial with this methodology of your view testing and then test out just these very small specific views. It's almost like getting the best of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. And I'm wondering if there's maybe even an option to like do a render partial right, in those view specs. If you... Like to just do that like specific partial, not to render like the whole index action, like which will then cascade and like render other stuff. So mm -hmm. I'll I'll probably yeah, I think that would be like even more granular stuff, like even more um like in a sense of unit tests, let's say. So yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. So I guess the other question is I don't think most coverage tools actually look at views either, like code coverage. So when we're talking about uh, test coverage on your app, 
it's mostly going to be just you kind of feeling like that number is better, even though like simple cover something isn't telling you that it is. Is that correct? Or do they actually look at the views now? Because last time I ran it, I don't, I don't think it did. If you just add in the simple cov rails start or something, then I don't think it's going to by default add it in. But you can add in a group, which it's just a configuration with simple cov to add in something like the view directory. And I was at one company where they had some very odd ways of handling coverage. So when you run Rails stats, it's going to show you your lines of code to lines of test code ratio. And if that was under 80%, so 0.8, they would not deploy your changes, your application. So they had this idea where you had to absolutely, without question, have 80% of lines of code in this project be testing. So it's not a very good way to... It's just a stupid red tape policy, basically. But the idea or point is there, having some of these view tests would help make up that number if you're solely just going after getting around the red tape. Someone where I'm working linked our GitHub organization into Code Climate. Is that the right one? Code Climate? The other week. Probably. it gave my code an X. I thought it. I thought it only went down. For, I thought it only went down to F. I mean, A is good. Presumably, F is is fail. It gave my code an X. Code coverage or something. I went not tests. I didn't didn't understand what it meant. Hmm. I never yeah. got an X in school, so right. I don't know if I can help <laughs> right? you. I mean, I'm not even sure if it's a letter. The yeah. So I think so I, I'm not in favor of these these uh, measuring code quality using static analysis tools. I used to be a big fan, but since Code Climate gave my code <laughs> D, then I'm I'm officially against it. Well, and, you know, go ahead, Dave. I think ultimately it all boils down to how much confidence do we have in our application, so that when we are coming up to our next release, things are going to work properly. And I think that's where our tests come into play. So if the tests we are adding in, whether they are model unit tests or these view specs, if they are increasing our level of confidence of not introducing defects and that our deployment is going to go smoothly, then it is a beneficial thing to add, especially if it is more performant than the alternative of having a whole bunch of capybara tests or system tests. Yeah, yeah. And especially if you have, like, as we described before, if you have those happy paths and, like, those important paths of your app cover, like, can you buy the product and, like, can you like, can you pay it? Um, yeah, these are, like, just supplement stuff. I'm not saying that they're necessary. Like, these view specs, they are just there to for you to make sure that those, like, itty-bitty corners of your app are, like, there and that they're going to render. And what what we're like why we wrote a couple of those recently in my job for example is we wanted to make sure that the other team doesn't remove those conditions right (laughs) or to have something render when it should not be rendered right but we didn't want to cover it with a full like system or end-to-end whatever integration test we just wanted to make sure that okay it's there do do not move this if you remove this 
it's 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 gonna go like CI is gonna go red and you cannot deploy anymore. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're gonna know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun and having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at rubyrogues.com slash Raygun. Can I pick that up a bit? I mean, Chuck asked you earlier, and I'll paraphrase here, what hurt you badly enough to make you start writing these tests? Is there a <laughs> is there a particular? We don't want to we don't want to name names. Abandonment issues. Don't, yeah, we don't, don't want to get. Into uh, sorry. Yeah, right, right. Is there a particular story you've got where this is this is when you went? It's time to write some few tests. So hard to disappoint you, right? There, there was nothing like so that like kind of pushed me to do this, but. I've seen I've seen some stuff like in uh, like when you do Git blame like in the Git history like why like what's the right. origin of this test right so I've seen some people cry like or at least lose a couple of years so I think that's why they 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 decided to add it but as I said to be honest I didn't see these view specs at like very rarely at projects I mean I worked as a freelancer for a couple of years and they're just not there I mean I don't know about you folks but. Have, have you seen this in the wild? <laughs> and Only anywhere. on new components. Only on new components, yeah. But I, yeah, I, have I, to, I wasn't. Yeah, I have to ask another version of Luke's question, which is, now that you're writing the view tests, have you had any place where somebody broke something and then caught it with the test? Right, well, actually, I, it happened to me, right? I wanted to, uh, we, we are doing like these cleanup, like of old pages, and I decided to remove so right, I, I removed the pages, but there was this partial right that was that was used in other places. So this kind of like triggered the use pack got failed, failed um, and I was like, what what the hell happened? We have use packs, like what's going on? So that was that was kind of, and that's I mean, to be honest, we are like because we kind of moved in this current project, we moved a lot of stuff out of Rails right into React. So we're not actively writing new tests because we're not actively adding new Rails view code, but we are maintaining old ones, just like uh, like legacy pages and stuff, if it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. So now that you're writing these view tests, I mean, how long have you been putting them into the apps? And yeah, what what generally is the reaction you get from other folks? Yeah, well, since it, it was there when I was, when when I already came to the company, uh, people are um, yeah, people are kind of supportive of it, but it's not like we overdo it, right? I mean, there's just no point if 
in, in adding them just for the sake of having them, right? So we just add them when it's pretty tricky, right? To like, as we, we, we mentioned before, like how upgrading the capybara and stuff, like it's, it, it can get really messy with like prone drivers and stuff and it's just the worst having to do that. So we're actually trying to kind of avoid adding more of those system tests, right? Of those integration tests. Uh, first of all, they're pretty slow, right? They are, I think our features, they run like for 20 plus minutes, something, right? And we, we just don't want to add new ones. And if we can add that view spec, that will improve like our confidence to, to check that the view is actually working, then we're going to do it. And if if we can avoid somehow writing the full end-to-end test, then we're gonna do it. But if if it's like if it's something that needs to be covered fully, then yeah, we're 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 gonna reach out for a full uh, capybara like R spec combination and just leave out those 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 view ones. Yeah, but unfortunately, I didn't like I didn't get a chance to use view component, but I want to do it. Like maybe maybe one of the next blog posts will be like maybe comparing mm-hmm. like one of the two and but i've seen i've seen some concepts i think it's it's a it's a pretty cool it's a it's a, it's a pretty cool concept i think they were kind of inspired by the idea of react and their components right and how i think what's what they say in the library but i have i have something similar i've, I've been actually working um for for a couple of years on this gem kind of kind of took over to maintain and now i own it it's called render async and there, there might be some use cases for these view specs and render async. And I don't know, have you have you heard have you maybe heard of uh, render async before? I can briefly um, describe the idea. I think so, I've heard it come up, but I haven't actually used it. Does it does it have a little spinner on the screen while you're waiting for something to happen? It, it had it had at first. It had at first. So we had like one of the like one of the first versions actually got a spinner. And you could actually copy the styles and you can get a spinner. But uh, what's what the idea here is basically if you have like this huge view, right? Like we talked about, let's say this huge index view right, for users. And a couple of parts of that view are really, really slow, right? Maybe you're making, you're pulling in some user stats from some like external service you don't control. So what you want to do that, what you want to do in that case is you want to extract that part of the page, right? So you have that part of the page that shows, I don't know, user's balance from Stripe, I don't know, let's say. And you want to extract that into a partial, right? But like if you extract it to a partial, you still have the problem of the page being slow. So what you can do in that case is you can go ahead and write some kind of a custom JavaScript, right? That will go ahead, render the user page, right? User whatever index page. And then you will you would call with JavaScript that some action in the controller that will then render user stats, right? And this is what render async lets you do easily. Like it lets you not write the JavaScript, right? So you would just specify a path to a controller. And then when the user page loads, it will call the user controller and just render out the user stats after the user page loads. So what what I'm getting here is like this is probably similar similar to view components. So what you're doing is you're chunking out your views into smaller pieces and you're rendering them asynchronously. 
And this is where review specs might come into play, where you could potentially test out those chunks of your UI, right? Which render independently. So yeah, that's that's probably something that can that can be used. But it's a, it's a similar concept to what now they they do in Rails, right? With Hotwire and stuff. I don't know have you if you, if you got a chance to play with it. I know a guy that made a video on some of it, right, Dave? Yep, he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, Hotwire is really cool, and doing those kind of render async. But then it also does a polling mode where it'll essentially refresh a certain div or something on a periodic basis. Yeah, and I'm not sure what are like what are the mechanics of testing that code there, right? Like how how will that behave after the update comes and whatever after like it's loaded synchronously? Maybe actually that those view specs like kind of like unit tests for those views. Maybe that can came like maybe. That can be really useful there. I'm not sure what's the like, like how do you test that usually? Yeah, I think in those scenarios where you would have something that you want to check that this polling is kind of working, I would assume that Turbo is working properly. So I would then just call the individual partial, you know, kind of just render the partial within my test make a change, render the partial again within that same test, and then do the assertion that the before count, the after count are different or, you know, have been incremented. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Is, is there like like a way to do it right now? Like, is there kind of like a framework around it where you can do it easily? I'm just interested. I didn't like, I didn't dive into the topic that much, but I plan on to. I don't think that there's anything specific for it, but if I were to give it a tackle, I think the first approach in my mind that I'm thinking right now would be using the view spec kind of way to do it, where I'm just rendering out that controller action, which that's what Turbo essentially is going to require is a actual endpoint. And then I would just call that endpoint within Turbo or within the view spec make sure that it's rendering out what I expect, change something, render it again within that same spec, and then see that something has changed. Because I'm going to assume always that Turbo is working properly and that that long polling that they have configured is going to then make another Ajax request back to my application and then properly refresh the view. So I wouldn't necessarily test that functionality as working, but I would test my actual endpoint is updating when I expect it to be updating, something like that. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I wouldn't test like what they're doing. I'm pretty sure they they do a great job. But yeah, well, while we're on the topic here yeah, on Turbo, just just wanted to like go back for a second. Yeah, so render async is basically like what now Turbo does, right? It's Turbo added these, uh, added this feature of like Turbo frames, if I'm not mistaken which is basically what render async does. And so you can do um, what you said, just like point to the controller action and it will magically, like the response will magically appear there like in, on the page. So yeah, I think I think it's pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty happy like that Turbo is going in that direction. Couldn't be more happier. And I think, yeah, like they, they might, these, as you said, these view specs might really uh, help in test that. Just it needs to be like somehow. I, I haven't seen many many articles, many blog posts about it. So maybe it's something 
I could do as a as an ex blog poster. I don't know. Yeah, and I think not enough credit is given to that kind of methodology, like render async or the eager loading that Turbo does, because it can really speed up the apparent speed of a web page. Because now, if you're rendering async a dashboard, which might have 30 different components, and the view controller for that number one might have 30 different instance variables because you're rendering out 30 different things on that one dashboard, it can become overwhelming to manage. But doing a eager loaded turbo or render async, you basically create a different endpoint for each one of those items on the dashboard. So now you have 30 different controllers with a single action or something like that that is now having one instance variable that you're exposing to the view. It's going to be a lot easier to test that individual component or that individual controller action. And the page is going to load almost instantaneously. And then as you are getting the data from the 30 different eager loaded turbos or render syncs, then those will pop in and load appropriately as well. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And yeah, interesting thing is you can actually yeah, go ahead and reuse those endpoints in different places. And now that I think about it, I mean, this is how pretty much every JavaScript like based app, front end app works, right? I mean, you get the skeleton and a bunch of requests go out to endpoints to request data, and there you go, right? I mean, single kind of... page apps, <laughs> single <laughs> page. Exactly, exactly. But this is like we kind of a twist, like Ruby single page, <laughs> where a mix of I'm, both. I'm sure. I'm sure it's good. I've been spending all week doing a doing a single page app. I had to pick up a project which I wasn't familiar with particularly. So single page apps, not not they're they're never really very popular on Ruby Rogues, are they? Really, we're we're not. I think I don't feel like we're among the SPA advocates in the first place but i, think, I will say I think this that's mostly my fault though luke right I'm being uh, you, vocal it, about that <laughs> it, it usually is <laughs> but but i will say they are quick they are quick to load are they quick to load or do they feel quick to load because i think there's a big difference between the two especially if yeah. you're talking about a heavy dashboard yeah, this is a trouble for asynchronous rendering. Um, we were talking to uh, Julian last week. He was doing the stimulus reflex. He was talking about you can speed this up by 500 times. And he obviously, you know, it, it, it does. He's right. It is 500 times faster to load. But it hasn't done the work 500 times faster. It's just put off doing the work until later. Yeah. Yeah. My experience with single-page apps is... I mean, the user experience on some of the ones that I've used are terrific. And my user experience on some of the ones that I've used are horrendous. And I've had the same experience with server rendered apps, right? That, you know, have multiple pages and as DHH puts it, sprinkles of JavaScript in there. But when my my main issue with single page apps is that they tend to take you down the road where you're pulling in a lot more things that you don't need and complicating the process where if you keep it to, hey, I'm just going to, you know, turbo links in a new, you know, part of the page or re-render the entire page or something like that, 
from the developer standpoint, it's much simpler. And so if you don't need the the level of whatever for your experience in your app, a lot of times a single page app is overkill. Not always, but a lot of times people reach for the single page app when they could put something out much more quickly and with much less overhead on their end by just uh, going through the process of writing it kind of the Rails way. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree on the on the on the speed part, like especially coming of doing everything right uh, server server side rendered to coming a full stack where I do a lot of stuff now with like let's say single page apps. It in some cases it does feel faster, but the developer experience is not as great, right? As as you have with with Rails, especially, right? Just the speed you can get from it is I don't know. I don't know if it can ever be redone again, like like it was. I mean, like it is with Rails. I've tried. Yep. I mean, like Next.js. Right? I mean, it's cool, right? But it's still not as speedy as you can do with Rails. So, like, yeah. What's What's more important to you? <laughs> All right. Well, anything else we should jump on here before we go to picks? Can I Can I ask about a pineapple? Yeah, pineapple away, dude. Yeah, so this is uh, this is the name of Nicholas' blog. Is they called the the pragmatic pineapple, and I was going to ask why you called it the pineapple blog because it it is quite a prickly blog. I'd say I've 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 seen it come up quite a few times. Get some give some coverage, and I just wondered if this this is a deliberately prickly pineapple blog. I'm gonna I'm gonna read out some of my favorite article blog article titles. Do not follow JavaScript trends. It's a, a spicy one. And if that wasn't good enough, the my favorite, I think, is called Ride Down into JavaScript Dependency Hell. Yeah, do, do you have some more? There's, um, are you, are you well, trolling us? Are you, is this a wind-up? Is this a serious blog? What's going on? <laughs> it is, it is. Well, be, based on the titles, right? I mean, the title of the blog post we were discussing, it's a bit not like the Rails way, let's say, why write Rails view test? It kind of comes off as like trollish a bit, right? Kind of as a joke. But no, I mean, I uh, why pineapple? Well, I don't know. I mean, I was just looking, I was using like some name generator, right, for the blog. There's like pragmatic engineer, pragmatic this, pragmatic that. And I just wanted to share with people like some like, practical examples, like practical tips. What can they do, right? But in the... In the same time, I wanted to like question people, right? Like, can this be done? Like, if not, like, why not? If if it can, like, why? Like, why would you or why would you not? And stuff like that. So, it like the titles are definitely, I would say, um, prickly. <laughs> but they're, I would they're, I would never accuse you of baiting the clicks. Yeah, well, I was I was accused like one time. I was actually uh, describing the render async, and I said something like, "Hey, like you can po- you can do polling in Rails, but without writing JavaScript." And everybody was like, "No, like you're clickbaiting us. How can you do polling in JavaScript without without uh, how can you, how can you do polling in Rails without using JavaScript?" Refresh so, yeah, tag. That, <laughs> yeah. So I just <laughs> added like a question mark at the end of the title to sound like a question. <laughs> but yeah, but the other ones are pretty 
they sound clickbaity and then they might like how do you say like provoke some emotions at first but if you go into them they're uh, like i actually go and try to discuss like different different directions you can go in why would you choose another one and why not other so yeah it's just the name from like a random name generator but it just happens so that i love pineapples so that combination of both <laughs> yeah that's brilliant that's brilliant all right well i think we've covered the pineapple let's go ahead and get to picks Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I never thought I'd say that on a podcast. <laughs> Dave, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So... I'll start off with the Apple TV 4K, the new generation that's coming. And the pre-order, I think, starts tomorrow, which April 30th from the date of this recording. And I'm really excited about this simply because I got the original Apple TV Gen 4, the developer edition for $1 over five years ago. It was something that Apple was doing to bring new people onto the Apple TV. And I had a developer account at the time. So I got it for $1 and I'm still using it to this day. It's definitely showing its age. So I'm really excited about that to get a new one that has a beefier processor and stuff like that. So that's going to be my first pick. The second pick is a toy that I got for my kids, which it's not that expensive. It's a parachute thing. So it's the little kind of like the parachute army men, but they're just little parachute colorful guys that you just throw them up in the air, then a little parachute deploys and they fall down. Totally cool. But what makes these awesome is that the little strings that connect the little person to the parachute, it's actually a mesh fabric. So you don't get the strings all bundled and mixed up and knotted up. So it's pretty, you know mess-free and stuff. So it's really cool. And the kids have been absolutely loving them. I need to check that out. All right, Luke, what are your picks? I got, I'm only going to pick two. I still got so many, so many things to pick. So many things to pick. I'm going to pick something really strange, which will not surprise you. And this is a connector. It's an electrical connector. One end of it is for an RJ45 Ethernet cable. And this splits out into eight screw terminals. And what I've been using this for is if I've got like a project where I want to run some wiring, I've got an experimental device, I can use totally standard network cabling, which is really kind of high quality cabling. I don't have to do any messy stuff. And then whatever's on the other end, I can break it out just really quickly and uh, screw stuff into it. There's no kind of soldering or crimping or preparation needed. So it really, really it sounds it sounds crazy, but let me tell you, if you want to kind of distribute electronics around your house, especially experimental electronics, these are amazing. They're really cheap, and I'll put a, a link on Amazon. And what's the, the implementation of Ethernet cables? I don't send Ethernet over the cables, so sometimes I spend I send voltage. Sometimes it's like signal. Sometimes it's it's like serial. It's just whatever I feel like. So yeah, it's it's not. A, you, I mean, you you. Why would you? You just use like normal Ethernet, wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, as what is the current limitation of the Ethernet cable? So like actually passing amperage, just so you don't accidentally catch it on fire. So just, I imagine just, if you're just using wires, 
just only got eight <laughs> wires. You know, just it's like four four on the positive, four on the negative. Go nuts! Uh, uh, astonishingly high is the answer. I, I pushed okay. some amp, amperage through it. Yeah, uh, that no. And the nice thing is because the Ethernet cable is good quality. You don't get the kind of resistive losses that you might get with some cheap cable. So there we go. Random connections. The other thing is, which is related to how I'm using this is dangerousthings.com. Have you seen this? <laughs> These are the guys oh, who no. take electronics and they surgically implant it into their hands. So they do like uh, NFC readers, right? They have uh, like they can wirelessly control. They put magnets in the tips of their fingers so they can feel magnetic fields. And what they've done is they've released what I believe is the first in the world, a contactless payment device that you can actually surgically implant into your hand. Uh, it's something which uh, is not at all officially supported by credit companies. And I do not endorse this product. And I'm not going to go and get it because you can see where this could go wrong. But uh, if you want to see what's what's at the cutting edge of uh, literally the cutting edge of electronics, uh, dangerousthings.com. All right. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. So right before this call, I was at a field trip with my daughter and she's she's uh, five. She'll be six in November. And <laughs> it was so funny because we they had kind of a little petting area, right? And they had all the baby goats and baby sheep and the ducks and all the stuff to pet. And with my other kids, it was always kind of, they kind of try and stay away from the business end of the animal, right? Where Wherever the teeth were. <laughs> but she is my animal lover and she just really loved getting out there and, and petting the baby goats and the baby sheep and the baby this and the baby that. And so, and I think it's healthy to get out and kind of be around animals or get out and be around nature, get out and be around other stuff. Nicola actually was talking about having been to Utah and having gone to Arches National Park, which is, my son doesn't know it yet, but I'm planning on taking him in a couple of weeks down to Arches National Park so we can go hiking. In fact, I told him we were going hiking and I didn't tell him where, but because it's like a three hour drive from here, three or four hour drive, it's not that far. But anyway, just, just getting out, like out, out, not just you know, to those places where it's like, oh, I wouldn't set my backyard, which is also nice, right? But just having those other experiences. So find some kind of nature thing or farm thing or something like that. And just, just, just go have a little time there. You know, I mean, for her, it was, it was just fun to just watch her play. And I guess that's another pick is just, yeah, the quality time with the people that you care about, you know, relationships are kind of the things that make life worth living. You know, as much as I enjoy programming and I enjoy a lot of the things that I wind up doing as it relates to the podcast, and as it relates to writing code, you know, that stuff is really the the kicker. And so I'm going to shout out about just, yeah, you know, quality time with the people you care about and just getting out outside, out away from your computer and, you know, into some of these other situations. And then I'm going to shout out about our two newest shows on devchat.tv. I've talked a lot about the one because I am hosting it myself and I'm enjoying it. And that's the Dev Influencers podcast. You can find that at devinfluencers.com slash podcast. It's also on devchat.tv. Dev Ch- the, the other just redirects you to the right place. The other show that we have is called She's in Tech. And it is a women in tech podcast. And we're doing that with the folks over at This Dot or This Dot Labs. And they've got some terrific uh, women that are on the show that talk about all the stuff that they 
that they deal with as women. And most of it is, I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of negativity that comes out of a lot of those discussions. And this has been refreshing because sometimes it's, hey, you might run into this challenge. And sometimes it's just, these are the things that I have done that have helped me in my career. And so it's it's a very uplifting, it's a show that I've, I've enjoyed listening to. And so I'm going to shout out about it as well. And then one last thing, I did go and look up uh, Cat5 wire. It looks like it's about 24 gauge wire. And so it looks like you can push somewhere around an amp down it. So anyway, there you go. Uh, half Thank amp you. to an amp. <laughs> I'll, I'll be <laughs> dialing down my supply. Yeah. So next week, we're going to be talking and we're going to hear Luke, go, Luke going, oh, crap, oh, crap. And then we're going to hear this zap, 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 zap. Anyway, but yeah. So those That'd are my picks. If, if my house burned down now and I broadcast this. Oh, yeah. Don't do that. Just, yeah. But yeah, those are my picks. One last thing I guess I should throw out there. I am working on launching kind of a dev chat diary show and it's going to be a premium show. And so if you go to devchat.tv slash premium, you can go and pay 10 bucks a month and then get access to that. It's going to be at least weekly. I'm not promising any more than that. But yeah, I'm just going to be talking about what I'm working on. So you might get three of them in a week, right? If I'm thinking about specific things or whatever. I'm probably also going to answer some of the questions that I get from people about some of the things that have gone on over the last 10 to 12 years that I've been podcasting as well, right? So sometimes I get questions about, oh, what happened with this? Or, you know, what's the story here? And that's kind of where I want to answer those mostly just because I don't want to have like a big public discussion and hash over some of the stuff publicly. But I feel like if you're willing to pay for the access, then you're probably you know, invested enough in what we're doing here at devchat.tv to where I don't have to worry about major blowback from it. Um, Are you going to do so, it live? No, no. Uh, but the flip side is, is that I, I feel like there, I can just share and be myself a little bit more and things like that. And yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. So yeah, maybe I should do some of them live. Um, we're also putting out premium totally feeds. Like a, a premium stream. I think people would be really interested in that. Hmm, maybe. I'll have to think about that because that is interesting. Uh, one other thing I'm going to throw out is that we are putting up premium episodes or premium feeds for the other shows, right? So Ruby Rogues will have one. Uh, JavaScript Jabber will have one. Um, in fact, the JavaScript Jabber one's already up because that's our biggest show. So that's where I started. And so if you go to devchat.tv slash premium, you can get that there as well. Um, and essentially right now, it's just the the episodes without the sponsorship ads in them. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of work through that and figure that out. I want to add some other stuff to it, uh, maybe maybe a monthly Q&A or something like that. But I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. Because, yeah, once it covers the cost of the show that it's for, then what I'd really like to do is start doing other things with that that money that involves the hosts and stuff like that so that, that there's there's something in it for them other than just being on the call with everybody else every week so anyway that's that's kind of where i'm envisioning that going but it's going to be over the next month that we get the rest of these shows out on premium feeds so yeah anyway i rambled for way too long sorry nicola what are your picks well i don't know if they were before but i just saw this new apple imac you guys seen them like what they released a couple of the square so, one don't talk yeah. about it you'll spend all dave's money <laughs> yeah what color are you getting it dave <laughs> did you decide already i don't need any more computers 
right now. At least they're not M1s. I'm waiting for the M2s. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for the but. <laughs> yeah, but that definitely, definitely those computers, right? Those IMAX. And what I've seen, like these dangerous things that uh, Luke mentioned, it, I see that you can actually use to pay it with Bitcoin, that chip in your hand, something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at the website that, that you shared, and that's that, that's pretty awesome. But yeah, other than that, yeah, that's it. I thought, All I right. thought you were saying they put Bitcoin in the iMac. Uh, no, yeah, no. If, if you shake it too hard, it'll fall out and it won't work anymore. <laughs> maybe they're so expensive now, it's the only way to pay for them. Oh, maybe. So, Nicola, just one more question. If people want to connect with you, I'm assuming you're on like Twitter and GitHub and places like that. Where, where do they find you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. I'll share the link down below because it's pretty um, tricky URL. I'm also I'm on Twitter, GitHub, um, LinkedIn, blah, but like they can mostly find me on Twitter, right? I'll post there, and of course my blog, Pragmatic Pineapple. And if you're interested, I have a newsletter. I don't spam people. I just <laughs> post stuff. I do like sum up of the articles, and in case you didn't see them or you missed them, whatever, you'll get it in the in the newsletter and. Yeah, that's it. I'm I'm actually starting to write a book about the UI testing, like something. It, it will definitely contain uh, stuff that we talked about today. So, join. You should you should join the newsletter or connect with me anyway. So I'll be sharing news about that with you soon. All right, good deal. Well, thanks for coming. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. We're gonna go ahead and wrap this one up. And until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.